You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Tyus Williams is a wildlife ecologist currently working with the University of Nevada, Reno, as a field ecologist. He went to school at the University of Georgia where he studied fisheries and wildlife science. After performing his undergraduate thesis on jaguars in Belize, he's now pursuing graduate school in the interest of carnivore ecology and spatial analysis. It wasn't hard to track Tyus down to ask him to be on the show. He's got a popular Twitter account and is highly visible on science Twitter and hashtags like blackbirders and stem. He seemed like the perfect person to talk to earlier this summer about how the environmental justice and equality movement is viewed and felt by black scientists and naturalists. Today's conversation is just that, a conversation, one where we manage to touch on just about everything. Issues relating to racism, culture, diversity in the conservation movement, environmental justice and rights, vegans versus carnivores, science funding, dealing with anxiety, and despite all the problems raging right now, how to have the energy and excitement to get out of bed in the morning as a black wildlife ecologist. She could appreciate human diversity to the same degree or significance as we appreciate wildlife and species diversity. We can have that same amount of compassion that same amount of passion when you're planting a garden, you're, you're generating plants, you're seeing a butterfly just merely blip by, and you just have that moment of just bliss to yourself, and you think how beautiful this gorgeous planet is. But that, yet there's the detachment that people have when it comes to the, the volatile nature that's currently going on in human dimensions. And it's frustrating sometimes. It's like, why don't we have the same amount of compassion, the same amount of empathy for people who are objectively and evidently suffering in this world? But yet we're like, yes, invest everything into natural resources. Animals are pure and innocent beings. And it's like, that is true. Animals are without malice, you know, and humans aren't perfect. But like, where did, where, where is the lack of appreciation for human diversity, differences, because we're so complex and different from each other? We get really turned on when we hear some, you know, country small enough that's able to do some crazy legislation, like give rivers personhood right? Um, or similar type things toward nature. And I don't know. I think there's something else in the way of it when it comes to humans. One way or another, the two things that we're talking about are the same thing. And we're going to learn something about making progress in either or or both in what we learn in going through this stuff, maybe. That's, mm. I'm trying to find a way to be hopeful. The nature of human dimensions, the, the domain of humanity, is it is so intricate and it is such an amalgamation of so many varying personas and personalities and psyches and just whether it comes down to just even like liberties or just even governmental proceedings makes our reality so much more complex that it is hard to generate the same appreciation that would be almost simplistic and transient in nature to to animals and wildlife because they are they exist as pure individuals and beings that you can appreciate 
with such a common ease because it's either you have that spark and you recognize them for what they are and you love them or you were never kind of influenced or way or exposed to it and you kind of never really understood it in the first place and it's not the same way like how it goes down to humans but I, I can't help but feel sometimes though too that like and maybe it's one of those things like, like you were saying like you know we're we're probably going to figure something out but like you know people are having these conversations where they're recognizing that like environmental justice or you know environmental rights is probably also inextricably linked to our appreciation of the natural resources too you know and i think like mm -hmm. that's one of those things like kind of like how i'm relating to that's what makes it such a complex topic you talk about environmental justice and like i say why don't we appreciate you know people the same way that we appreciate species but then you look at the the human side and you're like well, people aren't even like accepting individuals who look different from them trying to appreciate those wildlife and those diverse species in like, you know, in it's an entirety too. So I, uh, I definitely think there's a component where the human dimensions, it overlaps or at least like layers into like the wildlife standard because like we humans are nature studying itself from within. And I can't help but wonder sometimes too, that like if there is a, human rights or an environmental justice component to like the way we operate as a society that hinders our ability sometimes to to recognize each other for like how special we are um, at times as well we're too smart for our own good and we're too dumb for our own oh uh, good i mean at the same time because we are nature studying itself from within but we don't act like we are we no, that's no, no, no. technically true but like yeah the dominion culture of human nature is is so apparent and like we completely underestimate the naivety of like ourselves as a species like you know i, I agree with you completely jack the whole idea it's like like you say like you tell you tell any person most people and i would say eight nine times out of ten eighty percent chance that humans are animals and people will go no humans are animals humans are people and it's like but what is the real difference though so I, I agree with you there is a very strong component where like there is this element of dominion it's like humans are above all things everything else is subservient to human nature when you talk about like the species that you study or that you have an affinity for uh more than others you tend to know a lot more about them and the way they live Sure. And you start to you start to realize that everything else is a little bit different or a lot a bit different than humans. Everything else has its own way of sensing the world. Butterflies sense, I think, smell or something through their feet. And there's so much they do with their wings and they have 90 lenses in their eyes. And, you know, I mean, they they definitely can look at the same thing a human can and see a whole different thing and sense a whole different sure. through a range of different senses. But nonetheless, a butterfly just butterflies. There's a range of things that a butterfly does outside of which it does not even think about, comprehend, apparently, or do anything about. But humans are different in that we aren't limited in that way. That's why we cover the entire planet. We live everywhere because we right. adapt so much. And then we have an imagination of what if I don't just do this, but I also do this. And now I have this new culture and now I'm going to form a different kind of tribe than a government than a nation state and you know i mean you just don't see any other species really doing that to the anywhere near the extent that humans do and i think that is part of the problem is that we are literally all over the map um and figuratively all over the map and and then you try to get everybody to pull together and go you know this butterfly is about to go extinct 
and uh, nobody's really, you know, well, we have too much going on. We have all of these other things that we are concerned with because sure. we do way more than what butterflies do. And how can we be so concerned about one species? And it's just crazy. And then you just get back to the human side and you see where we get it. The way we yeah. treat each other sure. kind Absolutely. of mirrors exactly yeah. the way that we treat the rest of nature. I was going to say, yeah, you, that that whole that that statement that you just made, I, I think is a great summation of like how people look at the natural world because it is an extension of um of how we treat each other as a collective society. And it's so interesting because you were talking about like, you know, we see, you know, these organisms, we see a butterfly or we see a bee simply as itself. It's simply as that thing. Like this is just a bee, like, you know, but the provision of what the existence of these things provide for us as an entire ecosystem, a residing body that all kind of interconnect into each other is far more like valuable than like, I think any single contribution that a a single person generally makes like in their lifetime. Like, and you could say that, like, you could debate that because like, but I feel like at the difference, like the issue is like, we're, we're always making our understanding like behavioral ecology and like psychology and wildlife. Like that's one of those really big controversial issues in like wildlife sciences is because our understanding of wildlife sometimes is is always a projection of how like we understand humans and we have to like really deconstruct that approach. So it's like we talk about, you know, civilizations and we talk about democracy and politics and, you know, we have tribes, ancient civilizations, but it's like humans in a way, I mean, animals in a way have those structures too. I mean, look at hierarchies within hyenas, look at the, the matriarchs that are in um, elephant prides, you know, or excuse me, elephant, um, elephant herds. Look at the difference between troops and primates. I mean, primates will have mutinies and they'll throw coups and overthrow their leaders. That's government right there, Jack. That's government. <laughs> yeah. That's government. And it really, I mean, it if, if you're on C-SPAN, you might be wondering if you're on National Geographic because it sometimes looks like the same kind of stuff. A bunch of yelling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, might not, we might not understand what they're saying, but they do. They know yeah. exactly what the tone of that call or that bark or that screech means. They mean this is war. This is yeah. a physical dispute between two clans, and we're going to battle it over territory. Do humans not do that exact same thing? And I think you, I, I love that we're having this conversation because like Jack, and that's the problem. It's the schism, it's the divide that we can't see ourselves in the actual behavior of animals. Like because of that otherness, that element that it's like, well, this thing doesn't look like us. This thing doesn't have personified features as, as us. And it's like, did you not just see that troop of primates literally just kill their leader? Humans do that all the time, you know? We have totally overthrown empires, you know? We have totally usurped corrupt, vile, and evil leaders for the betterment of the, of human welfare and mankind, you know? I spent some time in Belize doing research. I, I forgot, there are a specific group of people that came over. They brought over their ideals. Um, it kind of extends from uh, European uh, values. They kind of indoctrinated a lot of the people in Belize, but... Um, they have a very dominion, like kind of like a very dominion perspective on like land. They believe that if uh, the land is not being tilled or utilized, it's going to waste. Like there's like no consideration for like wildlife or like ecosystems or like preservation and anything like that. And I use that as an example because it just shows like how we've severed ourselves from being mm. a part of nature as a process. 
and I, I think it's really interesting like like how did we how did we get there like what points in history did that start for for us um i wonder sometimes in myself like i wonder if we could pinpoint a timeline like this is where we recognized that we were no longer the same as other animals and that therefore granted us this special right to treat the earth in such a way you know and and that superiority complex may go to other species i'm sure dolphins feel like they've got a few things up on humans uh, if you could ever just talk to one and and understand each other um and they would have every right to as well to feel superior to humans in many ways um and so what other species, if we could only, uh, it, it's really weird though, that separation that we've tried to, you know, culturally we say if the land's going untilled, it's being wasted and religiously we back it up with, um, you know, creating gods that, that say these things in, in biblical texts and things like that to back up the crazy idea that we are exceptional and separate but the funny thing and the joke is really on us because we still have very lower brain function ways of getting through our day that relate more to our previous 200,000 years of development than it does to anything remotely close to the modern world we live in now. And I think that really bugs us on a, on a subconscious level. I think it really – because it reminds us that we are two animals and that we are part of nature. And we've done everything, if you look around society, to try to cover that up. You know, look at us with our towering buildings and our accomplishments, and we can reroute the course of a river, and we can go to the moon, and we can make these phones, and sometimes we've got Wi-Fi. I mean, we are <laughs> exceptional. But but we're not because we come we have more of our history of development as a species comes from this giant giant tail of where we've come from and then this little microscopic tip of the spear that we are today and we've only had all of these things for just a minute a blip mm -hmm. and sure. that's what we yeah. think we are and it's mm -hmm. i think maybe that has something to do with a lot of the problems that we're having societally as well you know yeah. we really are schizophrenic we really don't know much about who we truly are at all you hit a really i think interesting notion where like humans don't really know who they are that speaks to me in so many ways because like you look at like just as a species humans originating from africa like we know that we span all across the continents and humans are merely just variations of each other with different genes producing different characteristics or at least holding different alleles that therefore produce a gene that, you know, generate different characteristics and physical traits and phenotypic structures. And it's like, but we're all the same. But then you go into like human identity and look at like individualism just within like sovereign nations or just in specific nations and countries. And you're talking about a whole completely different appro approach to how people see themselves in the mirror. I mean, look at just like Western culture, Western culture. Look at Western paintings. It's always like, like you know, the kings. Like it is, a, it's headshots. It's, it's, it's a large, grandiose statement of like, I am the center of this focus. And like, this is what like the most important thing is. But then you look at like Eastern paintings, you look at like art between like people from Asian countries, you look at art between like people from like, you know, those distant lands and it's large landscapes, this vast oasis in beautiful pastures. And it's just one tiny person 
like in the center of all of that and an understanding, a philosophical, you know, adherence to the fact that like I am so small in in many ways, so insignificant to the vastness and infinity of like this planet, like in just the universe. I am a one person inside of a like ginormous planet that spins around and revolves around the sun in the Milky Way galaxy that is 100,000 light years next to like the Andromeda. And it's like people, some people comprehend that. So I think it's also like in many ways you're talking about like it is this, we've dissolved our understanding of two, like how we connect with nature in a way, because like you said, like it's how we approach our identity in a way that I think conditions us in many ways too, to understand where, what our role is at least as a link or at least as an extension of like nature in a way, because it's really interesting. You were talking about like, we're kind of just like the tip on the spear. Like we, we've only been here for such a short amount of time. When you think about the entire history of um, the, the planet. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about a planet that's over, you know, over 4 billion years old. And it's like, we've like, it's like, like you said, it's like a snap of the fingers in the amount of length that we've actually been around. But then you look at everything too, like the contributions that wildlife have even made to get us here too. I feel like it's long forgotten. We've forgotten history. We've forgotten that we were, that we were, you know, stewards. We forgot that we were shepherds. We forgot that we were, we were, you know, agriculturalists. We we, we used to tend to the land. And it's like, that was a part of human history. That is a part of natural history for the human species. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Did you know we also publish insightful and inspirational content from leading rewilding scholars, poets, artists, and organizers from around the world? You can visit rewilding.org and sign up for our weekly digest to receive brilliant, fresh insights on everything rewilding. You'll find over a decade of articles and news from the front lines of wildlands protection and all kinds of restoration efforts. Check us out at rewilding.org and don't forget to share it with friends. The reason that there's so many nationalities, so many people from so many different places around the world bringing all of those cultural ideas and everything about whatever they believe about our place, and it's either dominion or it's we're part of it and it's everything in between. Do you start to get the sense, looking at it that way, why we're having such an incredibly hard time either oh, getting along with ourselves sure. or getting along with nature, whichever you'd like to pick? No, sure. So there's a there's a quote by um, Tolstoy, um, and I love one of his quotes. It was one of my favorite quotes that he's ever said. And he says, growth requires a tremendous amount of discomfort. And I love that. The human endeavor, the human experience is a ever-present quarrel and struggle that we have internally inside of ourselves. We are constantly traveling, having to nav- navigate not only through the chaos of human society and people who are different from us in navigating around these these sentient conscious individuals and making sense of their nature as well. I mean, we have the, the largest brain to body ratio and you have two people trying to make sense of themselves and having to come to an agreement on something in society. That is no easy task. And then not to even to mention the fact the chaos that is already inherent to just the natural laws of the universe, chaotic energy. There's just the chaos of the world. There's just so much going on. Things are trying to kill you at all times. You are trying to survive at every second of this world. And then you tap that on top, you top, you layer that on top of the fact too, you're talking about America, why we're having so many issues. 
when you talk about the internal struggle, when you talk about the quarrel of the human experience, and then you layer that on top of the fact too that like differences in society, a lot of diversity in a area contributes to a lot of issues. And it's not that diversity is a bad thing. It's that people are trying to make sense of things that are different from them. And that's one of the reasons why the American experience, the American social issue at the finest structure is so unique because you don't really see that in the same ways. You see human suffering, human rights is, 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 a, is, a, is a global issue entirely. But then you look at like American issues specifically, and it's really unprecedented. At the, at the rate of like what we're experiencing, what we're witnessing, you don't really see it in the same way that you do in a lot of other places. And it's because when you have a lot of diversity, you have a lot of individuals that are different from each other, and you layer that on top of the fact that everybody's trying to navigate their own identity and human experience, the quarrel within that, which is probably very strenuous, leads to a lot of eruption and um, violence and suppression and oppression and all the things that we're seeing right now in our society, the voting in and the, the induction of a leader that could completely care less about other citizens that don't look like him. Diversity almost is, is kind of a double-edged sword. It's a wonderful thing, but if you don't know how to comprehend it and absorb it and appreciate it for what it is, it can cause for a lot of issues because in many ways people aren't ready for it it seems before all of the recent stuff really really started to blow up i used to take comfort in telling people you know the reason that you should listen to some of the things that i'm concerned about concerning conservation biodiversity is that you're not going to have a planet to have all of the other arguments on if you, <laughs> yeah if you yeah. don't get this under control yeah, but now i've come back around to i have to we all have to i believe have this discussion about how we're going to treat each other going forward, fairness, equality, sure. environmental justice, and everything sure. else, because we're never going to get back to the conversation that we were having with Greta Thunberg and everyone else when that was really ramping up. And I was starting to go, all right, all right, we might, we might actually just pull this out in the last inning. And then all this blows up, and I'm like, nope, we got a whole bunch of housekeeping to do because we don't even know how to treat each other. So yeah, how are we going to get on board for the biggest project in human history, saving the planet from our own greed and destruction, if we can't even work together? I, I have to walk through both these these realms uh, simultaneously. Uh, and it's no easy task for sure. Let me tell you, Jack. Um, uh, but I loved your point that you made. I, I was very much, um, you know, I, I was born in California. Um, I grew up around like a lot of Latino people, a lot of a lot of, a lot of Asian people. Uh, you know, those are the cultures that I was exposed to the most. So I've I've always appreciated diversity. Um, and I grew up around a lot of different people. My parents exposed me to a lot of different things, and especially having a diverse background myself, you know. Uh, whether it's, you know, my grandfather being half Asian or having a lot of French on my dad's side of the family. Uh, you know, I've experienced a lot of things and I, I've learned a lot about myself and my character. But as a biologist, I would say that a lot of my focus when I was growing up or centered around the world was how do we save planet Earth? That was my focus on everything. It was 
conservation. It's, you know, while it's, it's habitat restoration, it's generating more legislation for federal funding and support for scientists to do the research that they need to be doing rather than having individuals like Trump pulling funding and pulling out of institutions that are necessary for the survival of wildlife and the prosperity of natural resources. You know, and it's like, and I, that was my concern. I was very much one of those very, I, I call them like eco-centered like people because like my focus was we have to save the planet nothing else matters but then i realized but saving the planet does not go without also representing and liberating the people who are also suffering under this planet you know environmental justice is not mutually exclusive from conservation you can't do good conservation you can't do proper research if if you have unless you have every voice represented in the the, the, the argument and the battle and that's the problem it's like one of the things I always would say is like, we will not achieve true peace on this planet until every voice is heard in the effort to save it and at least like establish it. How can we how can we implement the most effective wildlife conservation if not all people are being included in the process? And that's what I think what people are missing because I, I, I came around like you too, Jack. I was like, Oh, Greta Thunberg's out here. Oh, like, oh, you have indigenous people also, like, all collectively coming together, like, with Greta and many others speaking up. Oh, like, the, all, like, the, you know, the young women in Africa, too, also speaking up about, like, the environmental eco disparities that have, you know, uh, that have, you know, plighted them in many ways historically for generations because of, you know, the European colonialism. And it's like, you people are out here speaking up and they're fighting. And you're like, this is awesome. We're actually going to be able to save the planet. But then you listen to the deeper roots of their statements and you're like, but they're also talking about justice too. And I think that's where we cannot sever those. We have to acknowledge the things for what they are. How can we have a diverse and inclusive effort pr to preserve natural resources at its finest, um, at its finest element without including everybody in the process? I, I, f I feel personally throughout my experience as somebody who has to walk through the, the corridors of natural resources and also, you know, just the, the human lifestyle, um, whether it's as a, you know, a black man or as a scientist, you know, I'm both of those things. Um, I, I think it does. It affects a lot of things. I, I think we there needs to be more cohesion. You know, I'm a very eco friendly person and I try to be like more environmentally conscious, but like. I, I I wasn't born that way. I was born with a passion for wildlife, but I didn't. I did, I would. I, it took me time to grow and mature and go through this this metamorphosis of becoming this person that I am today. And I and I think sometimes like that's where the gap is. Is that we're not talking about incremental progression, Jack. We're talking about an instantaneous achievement that will absolve us of all of our problems. And that's not feasible. That doesn't exist. We're talking about generational, long-term, residual Jim Crow era effects that have been that have been plaguing people in our country specifically. And people think that one movement will relinquish ourselves of this suffering. And that's not how the world works. And that's not how you know social issues work. And when you're looking at the natural resource level too that the separation of the human to natural resource experience is only going to further lengthen the issue that we're already struggling and battling against right now. People need to acknowledge 
that we utilize natural resources every single day. When you turn your water faucet on, you flush your toilet, you go to the grocery store, somebody's either growing it, planting it, tilling it, and cultivating it, and watering it for you to therefore pick up at your nearest grocery store. Like everything is connected. The synchronicity, I cannot stress enough, is so seamless and apparent to me, but people miss it, obviously. And I think that's one of the issues is that just even making incremental progression will make a tremendous change. Let's talk about like diets, vegan, you know, diets and like food culture. So like you have a lot of people, you know, like my dad, love my dad. Shout out to my dad if you're listening to this. I love you. My dad is a very meat guy. Love meat, loves meat. And a lot of, there's a lot of guys out there that love meat. And then you talk about like, oh, have you ever thought about like trying to eat vegetarian food? And you know that there is this dis dissenting opinion of like, no, like I like me, like I'm not going to change like the way I eat. And it's like I was having this conversation with my mom and I was like, I'm not saying you have to change the way you eat forever. I'm just saying just maybe consider trying a more sustainable approach to the way you're eating. And the way I, and the, and the way I explained it to her, I was like, even if you cut meat out of your diet one day a week, collectively as a, as a, as a country – do you know the amount of metric tons of carbon that we would reduce as a species just in like, you know, the U.S.? And I was explaining that to her and she was just like the light bulb went off in her head. She was like, you know, yeah. I never thought of that. She was like, I always thought that it was this absorption into a culture of like you are either vegetarian or vegan or not. And if you're not, then you're a shitty person. And I was like, no, I was like, and I and I and I have and I and I disagree with those people. I, I, I think that's a very aggressive way to approach things to just to force people to assimilate into something that takes time. It takes incremental progression. That's what my yeah. dad always taught me growing up as a kid. I think that's brilliant. I think that's a really, really good observation because if you go on the internet and you go check out a little social media battle with vegans and, uh, and meat eaters, they're really having an argument about you want to change my entire life. And then the vegans are like, well, you're affecting all the life on the planet. And where do you go when you start an argument that way in that place? Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. the hell do you have room to go? Yeah. There's no, there is no wavering. There is no like elasticity in an argument like that. Like you, right. that, it's like one of those things, like, the vegan versus meat eating culture, like the, the debate that's going on right now, one, first off, I like, I'm not even involved in that. I completely just like detach myself. I'm like, if, I'll, I'll talk to people about it, but I don't, I don't contribute like my thoughts in those banters when people get into it. But it, it is, it is essentially parallel to the idea is like the elitism in science in science communication. You will never get anywhere as a science communicator calling your audience stupid. You have just shut down your ability to reach a large, vast majority. And what you do for is a living. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. the same thing. You like, there is no room for that. You've just shut down your ability to have any conversation. And it's like, that's the problem sometimes too, Jack, is that like, we're not even having conversations anymore. I feel like a lot of these things sometimes now these days, they are, they're all, you know, they're, they are systemic and they're, they're certainly a concern, but sometimes they're like surface level, like issues where it's like, I could be getting ice cream and somebody goes like, do you know the cows that those, those ice cream things were milked from? Little do they know, maybe I just left from the Capitol Hill giving a debriefing on like why conservation is a huge concern for like, you know, ocean acidification in like climate change. 
but then yet like you're getting attacked for something that's so like minute almost in a way and like i feel like that's like and i'm not i'm not attacking people for who, who hold those beliefs like you know if you want to be a vegan that's totally fine and i support you but it's like i think it's the it's the the model of it's like these like like where are we investing our energy in when we're having these conversations because that doesn't help anybody all you're going to do is like look at that person and get angry and then you're not going to want to have a conversation with them when maybe it could actually be potentially fruitful what do you feel about the time frame? How do you get out of bed in the morning when you are aware of everything that you've just talked about? The dichotomy of incremental versus running out of time. Yeah. Like having the patience to do what's necessary, because I believe what you said is necessary, while also being up against the clock, feeling like that every day. Like, you know, you don't have to believe like AOC thinks the world is is in very, very serious trouble by a certain amount of time or 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 Greta. I mean, you should believe a lot of that stuff because it's based in science and people need to really pay attention to scientists again. I hope that day comes sooner than later. But whatever you believe the time frame is that we're going to be as effective as possible in putting the pieces, the crucial, crucial pieces back together, both on the human side, so that then we can collectively tackle uh, Spaceship Earth, the only place we know in the universe that has life. How do you feel about that? Like, what does that crunch do to you, or do you feel it as a crunch? The ever-present pangs of, like, anxiety and fear that is, you know, the unmovable, the immovable, you know, dominance of time just constantly taking away is, is one that I'm very well aware of. And afflicted by honestly sadly sometimes in many ways yeah I, I feel a lot of things jack it, it's it's one where i um i am concerned there are days where i i uh I, I was just i was just talking to one of my friends about it. like i don't know when's the last time i like actually have cried just from my frustrations of society like i just i just i just haven't i just don't anymore like i just i feel like i just deal with these issues the best that i can and try to move forward but you know what jack what gets me up every day aside from my love and passion for the national world, it's, it's reaching somebody out there who I know is just like me. It's knowing that everything I do in the center of my being is for the betterment of the planet, wildlife, mankind, and the welfare in pursuits of all human beings on this planet. I do it. It's a sacrifice. I give my heart to it. Because I know out there, there are kids just like me who want to change the world. And I want to be that beacon of hope to let them know that, like, you can make a difference and you matter. That's most important. That's the most important thing as well. And it's not easy, Jack. There are some days where I'm just like, I, I'm an extremely existential and nihilistic person on my dark days. I mean, my fair share of reading Nietzsche, it's like there are days where I'm like, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed, <laughs> you know? I've seen it. Like, I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, I came out of uh, the Sheldon Wildlife Refuge when we were doing research and went on the internet and I saw that Kanye was running, which I don't know if it might be serious or might just be a fluke bluff propaganda, <laughs> but I read that and I was like, I was like, we're doomed. Like, nobody takes <laughs> anything seriously. I was like, this is like what I'm coming back into after getting internet connection being gone for a week, you know? And it's like, I'm just riddled with anxiety, but the best thing that I can do and that what gives me solace and the peace of mind is that, like, nature has always been my anchor. You know, even if we fail, even 
if we go extinct as a species. I, uh, I firmly believe, although climate change is obviously the most the, 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 the greatest threat to all living things on this planet, I believe that even if we do disappear, I, I do I, I have a very strong hope and I, I think a very strong stance that like the planet will recover. It will it will it will grow long after we're gone. And I can only imagine the beauty of the animals that that have survived will adapt and expand and go through speciation and have a bewildering display of just diverse animals that are that extend long after we're gone you know i can only imagine how beautiful it would be like after like, you know we disappear if we do if that's the case but i try to remain hopeful i i try to enjoy the moments that i have you know I, there's some yeah. days i just i don't know jack i really don't i don't know i mean just even navigating through science myself i mean like it's just getting through grad school with like we're trying to go into grad school with covid going on i mean like i don't even know what's going on sometimes just through my day-to-day experiences and so let alone just trying to you know comprehend uh the the concerns and the immediate frustrations of just like you know the 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 social social political upheaval going on in our country right now but i i will say the thing that gives me the peace of mind the most is every time i gaze upon the just the wonders of nature it softens my heart in a way to always know that like i've had the privilege to even experience this and to potentially leave this behind whether it's my writings or my excerpts or my thoughts or being on podcasts with, you know, incredibly intelligent and thoughtful individuals like you might be the thing that lets other people be inspired and ignite that battle to keep continuing on. And I think that's, that's, that's a very special, very special thing for me. We have a lot more to talk about. I hope you can come back. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I like your philosophy. I think at the end of the day, you know, we all at least try to think of ourselves as the the old man planting a tree whose shade he knows he'll never sit in. I'm glad we had this conversation. I love talking about wildlife, but like we're people too. You know, we should have just general discussions as well as like what's going on in this world. So I'm really glad that you opened this up as an open-ended conversation. It is really has been wonderful being like chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world. Please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org slash pod. That's rewilding.org slash pod.